Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to another episode of the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I am an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode 4 of the Nerd Lab we will today talk about the third and final building block of exceptional encounter designs. In the first part of this three-part series we identified how to ask dramatic questions to our players by creating interesting conflicts and real decision points. In the second part, we discussed the tools our players will need to answer our dramatic questions and what experience we expect from their decision-making processes. Today, we will discuss how we can put all this together to handle the resolution of our dramatic questions by using structured elements and metrics. But let's start this show with a short recap of uh, the first two parts of this series on encounter building. In the first episode, we defined encounters as the resolution of one or more conflicts to achieve a desired outcome by using a variety of different actions. Um, we identified different components we, we need. We identified uh, that we need some kind of hook to make uh, our players care about the encounter. Um, and that we have to ask a dramatic question, which is uh, more or less the player's objective, phrased as a yes or no question. We identified that we will need some kind of enemies, NPCs and objects to represent interesting conflicts. And we decided that it may, may make sense to have triggers to introduce new decision points during our encounter. In the second episode on encounter building, we asked ourselves how can players resolve conflicts and what kind of experience do we want to provide them. So we had a deeper look on a character control system and defined three steps um, that we can use to design our controllable actions for our players. The first step was to choose all the actions we want our players to use to resolve the conflict. For me, I used combat, social combat, skills and decisions. In the second step then, we identified all the characteristics we want for our character actions and determined their min and max values. The goal here was to create design space for um, our future skills and to create unique abilities for our players. In the third step, we then added uh, negative effects and costs for our abilities um, to create some kind of risk versus reward trade-offs. Uh, the goal here was to, to add another tactical layer and create interesting decisions for our players. Now that we have the skeleton of our encounter, we need to see if it will work out or not. The first thing to ask is, how can the encounter end? Well, it ends when the traumatic question has been answered. But what will that look like? First, we need to define all the possible outcomes for our encounter, or at least the ones we want to support in our game. In an open-ended RPG, there can definitely be other conceivable solutions that we have not been considered during the creation of our encounter. But in a gemless game, we cannot improvise. Therefore, we need to fix all our possible outcomes. If you can remember the dramatic question from our previous example, can the heroes leave the dragon's lair with at least one of the dragon eggs? How will you know when the dramatic question has been answered? 
How will you know if all of the conflicts have been resolved? Well, if the players are all dead, the question is obviously answered. And when the players somehow manage to kill the Dragon Mother, the question could also be answered. But only if the Dragon Mother was the only source of conflict in our encounter. If we planted additional challenges like a collapsing cave or a competing group of adventurers, killing the dragon will not end the encounter, as not all the conflicts have been resolved. Uh, another way could be that um, to, to end the encounter is when the players leave the lair with an egg. But the question is how do we measure that? Until now we haven't defined any metrics to determine one of the possible outcomes. When is a character or enemy dead or defeated? We have not talked about that yet. And um, how do we know when the players reach the exit of the lair? I don't know, we do not have a, a movement system in our, in our game so far. This is where metrics and structure elements come into play. Structure elements are just ways to keep score of certain aspects of your game that help you and your players to keep track of the game state. They can also help to visually build tension or push your story forward. You have to identify aspects of your game that need some sort of mechanic or structure to keep score of. We don't have to figure out exactly how the mechanics have to work in detail just now, but we should identify at least all of the mechanics and structure elements we need for our game to measure the progress of our encounter resolution. I personally distinguish between two variants of structured elements for games. Uh, the first ones are core game elements, And the second one are encounter-specific elements. Core game elements are elements that you will need for many of your encounters, such as um, some kind of combat system that measures uh, character hit points. While encounter-specific elements are scorekeeping mechanics you only need for a specific encounter, such as um, the number of X or the mechanic to identify where the exit of the Dragon Slayer is. Since my goal is to have a significant narrative part in my RPG-like adventure game, encounter-specific elements are very important for me to transport my story and to create uniquely tailored situations. Of course, every game needs core game elements and mechanics. How do players choose skills? How do attack roles work? How can players defend themselves? Uh, how do we measure when a player is dead? How does a skill check work? Um, how do we determine the turn order? All these questions are absolutely necessary to build our games and they all need some kind of rule set and metric. But since this podcast series is about creating encounters, I assume for now that you have already defined the core elements for your game. We will go into all of these core game elements and mechanics later. But today I would like to focus on the encounter-specific structure elements. Um, because besides the core game elements, you may also want to track elements that are unique for your encounter or quest. Let's say you added the competing adventurer group to our dragon egg example. We already talked about this possibility in a previous episode. Since the adventurers are not brainless zombies, they will probably have more values and goals than just getting the dragon egg into their possession. And therefore you want another possible resolution than simply killing the entire adventurer group. Maybe they are going to keep fighting until they are risking severe injury or death. Therefore you could need some kind of moral system and a metric to measure it. 
the easiest way could be um, that the opposing adventurers um, will surrender once they are at 10% or less um, hit points. This would reflect that they value their lives more than obtaining the dragon egg. But other options could be um, that, uh, say, they surrender as soon as one of the adventurers dies. Or um, maybe one adventurer is afraid of fire, like the hound in Game of Thrones, and he surrenders once the players cast the fire spell. Maybe the players could have gathered that information earlier during the campaign and use this information against him in the fight. Or once uh, the adventurer is below half of his hit points, someone could scare him off with an intimidation check, for example. Um, and this option could could be revealed once he is at 50% of, um, of his life points. So the options here are manifold, but we need some kind of structure element to keep track of it. Otherwise, we do not have any idea when our encounter is actually over. Now that you have understood why we need structure elements for our encounters, let's have a look on how we can build them. I have selected some mechanics to measure the process of non-combat encounters from games I know and put them together in a list. Maybe you can use them as a guideline to create metrics for your own games. So let's go through them and explain when and how to use them. The first structure element I want to talk about are skill challenges from uh, Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. Uh, they are typically used uh, to create dramatic, intense situations without combat. The core principle of a skill challenge is, is quite easy. Um, the group collectively has to accumulate a certain number of successes before they accumulate three failures. Successes can be accumulated by skill checks, and so can failures, but not only one character is doing the skill checks, everyone in the group is participating in a skill challenge. In other words, skill challenges are an attempt to capture a dramatic action sequence and boil it down into a number of skill checks. They make the answer of a dramatic question measurable and help us to end an encounter. Let's say, for example, our players want to convince the competing adventurer group of their trustworthiness and propose to work together to maybe fight or sneak by the dragon mother and steal their dragon axe and later at the end um, share the loot. Um, the players could use uh, different um, skills in the skill challenge um, to conv convince the um, competing adventurer group of their trustworthiness. They could, for example, use um, their bluff skill to encourage the adventurers to aid their quest using false pretenses. They could also use their diplomacy skill check to entreat the adventurers for aid in, in their quest. Or they could make a history check to make an insightful remark about the, a significant event from the adventurers past in order to create a bond between the NPCs and the players. Or they could just try to intimidate them. Typically, the different skill checks also come with different difficulty levels. And each player can participate in the skill challenge. And you as a designer can yeah, define how many successes are needed to win the skill challenge. Um, easy skill challenge could be one with only three successes. Uh, 
a moderate skill challenge could require six wins um, or successes and a very difficult one could um, require nine successes before uh, the heroes have collected three failed attempts. Because as soon as they have collectively three failed attempts, the challenge is lost. There are different ways you can modify and enhance um, this very simple skill challenge metric. And um, as a little goodie for today, I brought uh, eight possible modifications you can, you can use to create better skill challenges in your games. Modification one. Each character is allowed to use a particular skill only once during the skill challenge. So um, every character can use a particular skill only once. He can try other skills or other players can use the same skill, but every player has only one shot per skill. The reason for this modification is um, that if you don't limit the successes you can accumulate from one skill per player, then um, the best player or the best character um, at something will accumulate all the successes and that does not feel like the group has achieved something. So the players are, uh, they can exploit your system a little bit. Modification two, you must be trained in a skill to make an attempt in using it. The characters must have some kind of experience in using the skill before they are allowed to use it in the skill challenge. This will ensure that your specialized characters really feel special because For example, he is the only one strong enough to push that rock aside. Modification 3. Different skills provide more or less number of successes or failures. So if a character completes a, a skill check particularly well or succeeds in a particularly difficult skill check, he could get two or more successes instead of one. But um, if he fails, he could likewise accumulate two or more failures as well. Modification 4. Sequence of skill checks. Sometimes only a certain sequence of skills will make sense to solve the conflict. If in our example above, we could use um, diplomacy and a first success with a diplomacy skill then opens up the use of the history skill. So the adventurer maybe mentions during the diplomatic conversation um, an event from the past that has some kind of significance for him. And um, only, only by using this diplomacy skill check, you are allowed to use the history skill check afterwards. Modification 5. Successful skill checks reveal information about other skill checks. So um, the first success with diplomacy skill, for example, could reveal that any use of the intimidation skill will automatically earn a failure. Modification 6. Eight others. Some skill checks may have a very high difficulty level, so high that a single character cannot succeed in the skill check. Therefore, um, the allies could be allowed to help the character to, to lower the difficulty level. This is a concept that was um, used in D&D uh, 3.0 um, and it was called Eight Others. How it works is quite easy. So instead of uh, every character participating in the skill challenge itself, only one character is trying um, to succeed in the very hard skill check. And all the other allies provide an eight others skill check. And they, um, this is typically uh, an easier difficulty level of, um, yeah, in D&D it would be 10 or something like that. And it would um, 
grant the the other player a plus two on his skill check, for example. So by working together, the 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 group could be able to succeed in a very hard skill check. Um, modification seven: ways to undo failures. So. Um, in some scenarios, um, it may make sense um, to give the players the ability to undo their failures. So, um, for example, by doing or, or making a successful acrobatics check, they can negate the effect of the failure. Modification 8. Vary the results of a failure. So every failure could have an immediate effect, for example, 3 damage to to the player in addition to its um, encounter ending result once three um, three failures have been accumulated or um, the skill challenge can could be an input for for the next uh, encounter or for a combat for example every failure the players accumulate lead to an additional enemy in the next combat so you can use uh, skill checks also to uh, to link um, one encounter to another maybe so that's it about skill challenges. I like them quite a bit um, because I think they can be cannot only be used in um, in real RPGs. They are very well suited to be transported into a um, into a card game. And um, the metric they use uh, x amount of successes before uh, three failures is quite easy and can be used for a wide variety of um, encounters and. Um, yeah, as you have seen by my modification examples, um, there's still a lot of um, room for creativity in creating these skill challenges. The next structure element I want to talk about is one proposed by the Angry GM, and it's a quite easy one. It's about using 1 to 10 scales. So he proposes to figure out what things are important or what things are in conflict, and then give them a score from 1 to 10 but don't start at 1 or 10. So I have two examples. The first one is the moral system. So the competing adventurer group begins with, let's say, a creed value of 8 and a fear value of 2. And each time something happens that makes them want to run away or leave, um, their fear score is increased. Each time something happens... Um, to make them more dedicated to killing the party or killing the dragon or get closer to grab one of the dragon eggs, um, increase their creed score. So, and if the fear ever equals the creed score, they would flee or surrender. And the second example is a chasing scene. So, um, the party somehow managed to leave the dragon lair with the, with the egg. But the opposing adventurer group follows them. Um, the party maybe has a head start of seven distance units over the enemies um, that are chasing them, but the enemies maybe have horses and are therefore faster. Um, this reduces the distance every round by one. And um, each thing the party does now to slow down or um, to evade the enemies increases the distance by one. And when the distance is zero, the enemies catch the party. And when the distance is ten, the enemies lose sight and uh, give up the chase. So this system is pretty easy and pretty easy way to, to create measurable things and stick them on a 10-point on a scale. And um, yeah, you just have to increase or decrease um, them whenever it seems right. Um, with that sort of encounter structure, um, yeah, I think it can, it can help you to, to create good encounters. 
Another measuring instrument um, are contests, how they are used in um, the Fate RPG. So whenever two or more characters have mutually exclusive goals, but they aren't trying to harm each other directly, they are in a contest. Uh, for example, arm wrestling matches, races, or other sports competitions. Uh, but also public debates um, are all good examples for a contest. Um, and players can make some kind of contest role or skill check um, and then compare their result to someone else's result. And um, whenever a player has the highest success, he gains one victory point. And um, for example, if a player is the only one with the success, he gains two victory points. Um, if more than one party are tied for the highest success, no one gets a victory point. Or maybe something unexpected happens. For example, um, the, they both stumble because they get in each other's way. And um, you then have to define a win condition. For example, the first participant to achieve three victory wins, uh, victories wins the contest. I'm sure most RPGs have some kind of contest system. Um, but I, yeah, I referred here to the RP Fate RPG one because this one... Um, I think it's quite easy and can can also be can also be used for for other games as well. Another measuring instrument um, are success rates or level of successes. Um, I know them from a German RPG called Splittermond, um, and they are used to measure the outcome of a skill throw um, when not only the different situation between success or failure is important. Often you want to know how well a player succeeded in a skill test or how badly he failed. Um, by using success rates, you can define several possible outcomes for a challenge. Um, if a character only misses the sneaking skill test by one or two points, he maybe stumble and lose all his remaining actions, but the Dragon Mother continues to sleep and doesn't notice him. Whereas a failure that misses by three or more points has a profound impact um, and starts the combat with the Dragon Mother the heroes actually wanted to prevent. I think this, um, this system can also be helpful in, in other games than RPGs. And the next measuring instrument um, are progress tracks. They are another versatile tool um, which is used in the Warhammer Fantasy RPG. This tool can be used to keep track of various events during an encounter. In Warhammer, the progress tracker is implemented as, um, as puzzle pieces that can be used to build a, a route of different lengths. It, can, it contains neutral pieces and colored pieces that can be used to highlight any form of um, event that happens during the encounter. And then you can place tokens on the on the track or on the puzzle pieces to represent players, NPCs, or other things. Um, the progress tracker can be used in yeah in one or two of two ways. Um, it can be used to track the progress of a single event or to track competition between multiple parties. Um, for a single event, for example. Um, Starting at one end and moving toward the other end with one token um, could suggest something will happen. It's just the question of how soon it will happen. Let's say the Dragon Mother enraged and damaged the structural integrity of the cave. The question now is when will the entire cave collapse? We could build a progress track of five puzzle pieces and um, a token on position one and an event on position five. Once the token reaches position 5, the cave collapses and 
yeah, maybe kills all the, the uh, characters. Every turn, the token will be moved one position forward. Uh, different actions from players or the enemies could have an impact on the token's progress. Players could try to use some tree trunks as a wooden support to delay the collapse. Or every attack of the dragon's mother using her tail could move the token one field forward. Using two or more tokens on the track can represent multiple parties' interests. Um, for example, you could use them to measure who wins a race or another competition. Some examples for what broker's tracks could be used are um, they could be used to keep track of important resources, they could used, be used to track the moral of the enemies, they could be used to track the reputation of the players, um, or they can be used to enhance the social encounters in general. For example, when players negotiate with the Lord, every round the players uh, use skills to influence the Lord, um, and once they made um, three progresses, um, an event occurs and the Lord's board of advisors joins the negotiation um, and now skill checks um, yeah, um, are, have a higher difficulty, for example. What I find really interesting about this approach is the usage of puzzle pieces and the creation of tr progress tracks that um, allows the players to visual experience um, the encounter and the resolution mechanic. So um, they maybe see that some kind of event will will be coming, but they do not know which event it will be. So um, um, maybe this is a good way to um, to improve the triggers that I have envisioned for my system. And this brings us to the end of this three-part series of building incredibly good encounter systems. All the tools presented today can help you to give non-combat encounters uh, more depth. Instead of making only one skill check to find out if the result is a success or failure, we can use these measurement tools to keep track of a multitude of actions that are required to overcome a conflict and to answer the traumatic question. I know these flexible measurement tools mostly from RPGs and I think it will be a very interesting design challenge to reproduce this kind of skill challenge experience in a GMless card game. If you know other methods of how to keep track of non-combat metrics, please let me know and I will happily share them in next week's episode. You can always send me an email uh, to podcast at nerdlikeaboss.com and I will happily answer all of your messages. I hope you had as much fun listening to this three-part series as I did creating it. If so, I would be incredibly happy if you could leave me a short review on iTunes. This will help other designers to find the podcast and help me to increase my audience. Today, I'm very proud that I managed to stay consistent and produce one episode of this podcast per week so far. Thank you very much for being my accountability partner. I could not do this without you. Uh, and if I can work consistently on my game, so can you. In this sense, thank you very much for listening. And until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss. This music was by MatthewPablo.com. 
If you are looking for music for your games, podcasts or videos, please go and check his website. I think his work is incredible and maybe you can find something for you as well.